Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What is going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me, as always, is my podcasting partner, Paul. Yes, sir. And welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, everyone's favorite Phoenix Suns podcast has been made for the fans. That's you guys. By the fans, that is us. As always, intro and outro music is provided by the newly named Park and Main. You can check them out over at parkandmain.bandcamp.com. That's a lot to say. Uh, Why'd they change their name? Just because. That's it. I, I, do we want to make this a Park in Maine slash Oceans Over Airplanes podcast? Why not? No, we don't. Give us if, a follow. If, or if us... we want to get more niche. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Give us a follow or hit us up on Twitter. I'm at so says Jay Paul. I'm still at Dervish of World. And the pod remains at Fan the Flames NBA. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, <coughs> Google Podcasts, etc., etc., etc. 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 All right. So preseason is over. Suns finished preseason at two and two. I would say up and down is probably a fair way of assessing Literally. the preseason. Yep. And um, we're gonna put a wrap on the preseason. Give a little insight into our thoughts and expectations and hopes for the regular season, and then we'll just see on a weekly-ish basis moving forward where things go. Right, Paul. I think we can try to make that work to yeah. the best of our ability. Once we have basketball, it's like a whole new world. A whole new world. We actually have stuff to talk about. Exactly, exactly. So, again, we're going to put a wrap in the preseason and talk about who impressed us during the preseason, maybe who didn't impress us. Look at the big picture and what we saw throughout the process of the preseason. And, um, again, move forward from here and, and and hope for the best, which I think is, at this time of year, what all Suns fans have been doing for the past, oh, nine years or so, right? Yeah, I mean, it is preseason, so, I mean, you want to take something from it, but, I mean, how much really can you take from it? Well, and in, in, in the grand, great history, the standard MO of the podcast of optimism, I, in the very least... We'll try to take as much of an optimistic point of view and take as many positives away as I can and forget things that might be negative, like, you know, the entire Kings game. Right? <laughs> okay. All right. So let's jump in first and just discuss who impressed us on an individual basis the most during the preseason. Paul, you want to take a crack at this bad boy first? Um, yeah, I can I can, uh, I can. can go first. I uh, honestly, the, the – I'm – I'm taking two players. Oh, intriguing. They're, they're young, but I mean, the Suns are a young team. They're young players, yes. but they're really not that young because they're actually kind of old. Okay. For rookies. There you go. I'm taking uh, Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome. Um, I thought both of them, um, you know, I mean, obviously they're rookies, but honestly, they didn't really look like it on the court. They didn't play like it for the most part. I mean, there were some... Honestly, a lot of the hiccups looked more like oh, guys playing with a new team more mm-hmm. so than guys trying to adjust to a whole new level of play. Trying to get used to the speed of the NBA, things like that. Right, yeah. They they didn't seem to have the learning. They clearly don't have the learning curve that our prior rookies in the last couple seasons have, have had. Right. So that was something that definitely impressed me. And like... Um, I got to I got to give credit to uh James Jones cuz I mean the at least the Cam Johnson pick was definitely panned is a yeah to say the least yeah uh, d- during the draft and 
I thought he was he was probably one of the most consistent guys the Suns had, and, and that's with him being being a starter in some games, being a bench player in some games. Um, I thought he played really well. Um, Ty Jerome did a really good job with that second unit. I was kind of surprised that when um, they sat Rubio in uh, that third game, he didn't get the start. Like Javon Carter was a very interesting ch- of all. Of the myriad of point guards that were on the Suns roster, Javon Carter was a choice. Not that it was wrong. It was just, if I were to rank the possibilities of who was going to start a point guard, he, he would not have one. been first. He probably wouldn't have been second. Right, especially when you have the game that, that wasn't a game where Tyler Johnson was out. You had everybody available to play at that position, say for Ricky Rubio right. and Booker, if you would be so inclined, yeah. but obviously we've discussed, and I think the Suns are taking the route of trying to move away from point book, at least as a solution, as opposed to a temporary option from time to time. Um, and, you know, to your point of those guys not looking like they were lost at, well, Looking like they're lost at times, but because they're adjusting to a new team as opposed to an entirely different level. Obviously, that was exactly part of the plan when the Suns drafted two guys that played their full <coughs> 10 years in college and played at colleges where they were competing at a very high level, at least with Cam Johnson his last, his last few years when he was at North Carolina. Um, and to that end also, Cam Johnson did exactly what everyone expected him to be able to do coming into the league even as a lauded draft pick excuse me not lauded but a panned draft pick uh and and he shot the three well he shot 45 percent from three-point range over those those three games and he has a really nice stroke yeah a really nice stroke uh which is exciting to see i mean obviously we've discussed last year and during this offseason, the need for the Suns to improve their three-point shooting. And, you know, Cam Johnson's obviously a step in that right direction. Ty Jerome shot the three well in college. Didn't shoot it as well here in the preseason. But again, so be it. Uh, we know he has the ability. And you look at that team as a whole and look at that Blazers game, we can see that the team has the ability to shoot the three. Um, but there are going to be nights where they fall. There are going to be nights when they don't fall. Um, that Blazers game was certainly a night where they or they did fall. And I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. I'll bring up again here on the pod. I took screenshots of all of you people out there who ridiculed the Cam Johnson pick. I'm hoping that doesn't come back to kick me in the ass sometime in the future, but well, I'll just leave it at that. I'm hoping it doesn't come back to kick me in the ass in the future. So Paul's two picks, Ty Jerome, Cam Johnson, anything else you want to throw out there regarding those two guys, man? Um, I'll be... And we'll probably get to this a little bit more. We've talked about this previously, and we may get this to this a little bit more later in the pod as it goes. But I'll be interested to see how they're incorporated into the 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 rotation. Mm-hmm. Just because there wasn't a single game during this preseason where the Suns had their full complement of players available. Right. You know. Um, First game, we had Bridges and Ubre out. Baines was out as well. Second game, we were missing um, Ty Johnson. Um, third game, we were missing Aiton, Rubio, and Booker. And then the last preseason game, we were missing... Um, Johnson, Johnson and Saric. Mm-hmm. Like both a lot, and a lot of those guys who were out were in positions that allowed Jerome and, Kent and Johnson to fill in. So... It'll be interesting to see how that affects when the whole team is healthy. Right, and, and you know, I think that leads into an interesting point, which really wasn't <coughs> on topic for what we're talking about here, but I'll bring it up anyway, because that's how we roll here on Fanning the Flames. Um, the depth that this team now has. Yeah. Last year, we're sitting there going, who the hell is going to start at point guard? And... Even though the point guard that started throughout most of the season wasn't really an NBA caliber player, on top of that, you go and you get a couple of spots down on the bench and you are again out of NBA caliber players. Suddenly we're sitting here going, okay, we've got two rookies who look like they belong and could very well garner and earn rotation minutes. 
how are they going to get them? When are they going to get them in light of the guys that, for all intents and purposes, at least as we sit here right now, are presumably in front of them in, in the on the depth chart. Um, but that's a problem that we're not used to having as Suns fans, but I would say is a good problem to have because one thing we've seen, particularly over the past few years as well, is that, granted, we don't have T.J. Warren anymore, so there's you know 40 missed games guaranteed that are now gone. But as the season goes on, there's that wear and tear, and you're going to have guys that are missing games here and there, and in the likelihood, I'll knock on wood and hope I'm wrong, but there'll probably be an injury to somebody that is a rotational pe- player that takes them out for at least some period of time, and it's nice to know that we have guys on the team that even though perhaps they're not going to be getting regular minutes, they're going to be able to fill in those minutes if they need to, and in certain situations, obviously, will um, be, be coming in and gives Monty Williams um, flexibility when it comes to playing guys who are right for any given particular situation. Right, and I mean... And that's like one of the other things that um, I've noticed about this team that we haven't really had in prior years. I think we've tried to talk ourselves into it, but I think it's actually true for once this year, is we actually have guys who deserve minutes. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of guys. And so that give one, it gives options. Two, it gives insurance. Um, the... The biggest fear is could it cause chemistry issues? But I think being that two of those guys are rookies, you know, they and they weren't I mean, yeah, they were you know, they're both first round picks and whatnot, but it wasn't like they were such top picks that they would feel entitled to minutes. Right. Right. Well and you know, when it comes to chemistry issues, I, one thing that at least appears to be the case with this team. And this is significant to say, particularly considering the fact that, as we've discussed before, this, on many different levels, is an entirely different team than we had last year. But they've seemed to grow together pretty quickly, grow tight pretty quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen some of the off-season activities that were going on. Didn't Booker plan, like, some stuff out in L.A. or some trip uh, out there? I think or it was San Diego. Like there you go. Um, and... That kind of stuff for a team that is coming together, a lot of these guys for the first time, and guys who are, you know, rookies up to guys like Ricky Rubio, who, while he's not exactly old, has been around for a while. Even Booker is, what, 23? It feels like he's been in the league forever already. Right. Well, and, he, you know, and this is year five. Right, exactly. Have, having, having And the average, what is it, the average... NBA career is five years, so he's he kind of is. I think he'll surpass it, though. I kind of think he will. <laughs> but seeing the team do things like that is is certainly encouraging, um, and I think that helps develop the chemistry, develop the bonds that will hopefully avoid any potential issues that could come up playing time wise. But even at a level below that. This seems to be a team that, again, based on what we've seen, what what's publicly available, uh, is full of guys that aren't exactly egomaniacs. We don't have a whole lot of LeBron James running around out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'll, I'll just leave that one. <laughs> so that's that. All right. Well, I'll jump into my only one guy. I only picked <coughs> one guy who uh, impressed me the most during the preseason. I think Paul, you probably would have taken this one if I didn't call dibs on him first. So I'll give you that credit well, there. Well, I was the one who brought him up during uh, pre-show prep. so Yeah, but I had already taken my notes on him with the idea that I was going to call him. So, you say that, but it's not like I looked at your computer screen. You could have just said that so you, you had a justification to steal I who I wanted to talk to. immediately threw out stats. Immediately threw out stats from four games. You can't exactly pull compiled stats quickly like that for preseason games. I had to do math. You see me with my calculator over here doing stuff, man? <laughs> Hard work preparing for this podcast. Anyway. And I say you would have taken him. I think a lot of people out there listening would probably pick this guy. That's Frank Kaminsky. And As a U of A fan, I still how don't do you forgive feel him. about this? I still do not forgive him. I was just going to say that. God, we think alike too much. I still do not forgive him for that. But you know what? He's a, he's a fellow Polish guy. 
So I can accept it on that level. And, you know, he played really well these these four games. Granted, the Sacramento game, he did not play well, but nobody on the Suns played well that game. He threw up a stinker that game, but even with that poor performance in mind, during the preseason, he still averaged 14 points a game, shot 47% overall, including 42% from three-point range, averaged about five rebounds in the last two games, really showed some ability to distribute the ball, particularly against Portland, was it? He had eight assists, Paul? Yes. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that, frankly, (laughs) frankly, I think people probably would have expected him to be doing coming into the league, that type of performance, especially the game last night, the Denver game, put up 22 points. Um, And maybe this is a perfect situation for him. You know, he was a first-round pick, obviously, ninth overall, came in as a high draft pick with a lot of expectations and never really, for better or worse, whether it's his fault or not, never really met those expectations when he was over in, in, in Charlotte. And maybe a new scene a new team, a new environment is going to give him the ability to kind of hit those expectations and really play a key role for this for this Suns team. Well, I mean, he it also he's got pressures come off him a little bit because in Charlotte he they still looked at him as he was a top ten pick, mm-hmm. and there's an expectation of a top ten pick, which is a flawed expectation by fans, but I mean it's an understandable one. You know, clearly look at the Suns' history. Um, but now he can move on to a to a situation and a fan base and um, a team that doesn't have those expectations. They have much lower expectations, so it's a lot easier to exceed those mm-hmm. and look good versus being in a situation with high, very high expectations and not being able to meet them. Right, and he, he comes in, you know, here as a guy who signed Podcast a... Podcast of pessimism. <laughs> I, I think it's still... I think there was an optimistic slant to what you just put out there, though, Paul. I think there That's was. That's why I'm a pessimist. <laughs> so I can be optimistic. Because only an optimistic slant. <laughs> um, I was just pulling up... I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head what his contract was. He's got a two-year, two-year deal with uh, the second year being a club option, you know, making... Average about five million bucks a year, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of money NBA wise. So, I think that goes towards you know the the lower expectations. You know, he's a guy that comes in that we know has the ability to shoot the ball. Again, high draft pick, but you're not exactly paying a boatload of money. So if right. he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. If he does, great. And and maybe that's exactly you know what his mindset is, and it's freeing him up. Who knows? Or maybe it was a flash in the pan for four games, and Frank Kaminsky's going to kind of disappear be what he thought he was but um i'm gonna i'm gonna maintain my optimism and uh, assume and hope that that's not going to be the case and the guy that we saw that plays efficiently contributes kind of a little bit all over the place and is a legit threat and he always has been a legit threat from three-point range but is going to fill that role nicely for the suns and again help improve one area where they desperately need an improvement after last season and that is um three-point shooting Gotcha. And where did the Suns finish in three-point shooting last year? Do you remember? Uh, like 29th? It was bad. It was It was worse than bad. Well, 29th would be pretty much worse than bad, and I'm just pulling that up really quickly here. They finished. Oh, you were off, Paul. 30th. So <laughs> I was trying. That was your op- to get, was that optimistic? 29th? That was my slight bit of optimism. Like they weren't the worst because they weren't the worst team in the league. <laughs> so that's my pick for the most impressive player of the preseason. And hey, you know what? If you all out there have thoughts, opinions that agree with us, different opinions, hey, throw it in the comments section. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll hit you guys back. We, we try to do that every now or and then. Or tweet at us. Tweet at us. Tweet at us. At Fan the Flames NBA. Yeah. Yeah. At Dervish of Whirl. At So Says Jay. There you go. Thanks, Paul. You got at it. At Dave it. King NBA. Why not? Just tell them to forward it to us. At <laughs> Espo. I don't remember Tim. Usually Tim out. What is I don't this? remember exactly. Radio, it's like Tim, Radio Tim, Tim NBA? NBA. I think so. All right. So okay. 
couple other guys that... At Boyd. <laughs> throw Boyd in there. Why not? Um, you know, one, one guy that I'll mention too, and this is going to forever be a thorn in Suns fans' sides. And when I say a thorn in our sides, I mean just this ongoing freaking debate, if you'll call it a debate, or the over-analysis, but DeAndre Ayton. Yo! Did did we see some flaws in his game during the three preseason, preseason games he played still? Yeah. Well, we like to see him be more aggressive still, sure. But he played efficiently on the offensive end, at least from the, the point-scoring perspective, shooting 68% from the field, <laughs> showing the ability to continue to hit that mid-range jumper. We didn't see any three-pointers yet. I think you know, we also didn't see any hmm. free throws. No free throws. You're Not right. a single free throw. That's weird, but... It's a little concerning for the guy who's, like, in the middle of what's where, like, most people get fouled. Yeah, but if you think about it, you look at how he... And, and maybe this goes towards this... And maybe not even maybe. This, in all likelihood, goes directly towards that concept of him not being a super aggressive type player where he's right. attacking, attacking, attacking. He has more of a finesse game when he gets that ball. He only gets the ball down low. He likes the hook shot. He likes the, you know, the, the mid range jumper. He likes the face up jumper. And that really is not all that conducive to drawing fouls. This is true. But you know what? If he's not going to get to the free throw line a bunch, but he's going to shoot 68% from the field, I think I'll be okay with it. Now the 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 thing that I can see that the Suns I think need to do is make sure he's taking more shots because in the the games that they've played here during the preseason he took and give me a moment as I scroll through this he took fourteen in the Timberwolves game great I would love to see Aiton taking fourteen shots a game yeah he took eight in the Kings game and he took nine in the Nuggets game. You can't have DeAndre Ayton playing games where he's shooting the ball less than 10 times a game. Uh, that being said, obviously, minutes were reduced during the preseason games. And in the game against the Nuggets, he got into foul trouble. The only game where he really got into foul trouble, but he got into foul trouble and only played 17 minutes. And putting up 14 points in 17 minutes, hey, you know what? Nothing seems that. Not too shabby. Um, and this is something that I'm sure, well, I know we'll get into as this pod progresses as well, but what they showed on the offensive end, while it's the system that Monty Williams is bringing in the .5 offense, it wasn't run through Booker. It wasn't run through Booker as often as they probably will during the regular season. And for that reason, what we saw, while indicative of what we'll see, wasn't really what the finished product will be and ultimately because the team is still growing and learning how to play with one another we won't see the finished product for a little while right yeah definitely i mean and because at back to the point earlier it wasn't like there was a point in the preseason where the entire team was healthy to really get that true you know this is how this is our rotations this is kind of how we'll play every night this is who you're going to be playing with most nights get used to them right kind of situation i mean we're close but not everybody and you know i'm i'm a little scared about where the suns are going to be at uh record wise i mean, know something we'll get to a little later but just because you know they're still trying to develop chemistry they're still trying to figure out that whole thing and the first part of their regular season is not great well, look at it from the optimistic perspective, Paul. While they're trying to learn one another's game and getting used to one another, they're doing it against the higher level of competition where even if they were in their peak level, perhaps they wouldn't be winning those games anyway. Yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I like that. I like it. Mostly because it came out of my mouth. I like everything that comes out of my mouth. But the I like the other side of that, though, is it could put you in a position where particularly the players who've been around before can get um, in their minds like, oh no, it's just going to be another shit season and get in their minds early. Because, I mean, you're looking at our first, the Suns' first five games, Sacramento, you know, lost to them in preseason. They're, not, they're nothing to sneeze at, but I mean, it's not like they're world beaters. Denver, 
Clippers, Utah, Golden State. That first five games, you know, I could I could see a world where the Suns are on five. Oh, sure. And it's not like that's a very far-fetched world. Right. Well, and let, that, that just that's just kind of what scares me as to what to if starting on five is what is what happens. It's just I, I know you can you can turn that around once you get to like a more balanced portion of the schedule. It's just I can also see a young team that's still trying to gel, struggling to do that. When you lose your first five games. And I'll say one quick thing to that because we need to take a break. But that is, A, if the Suns players are so small mentally and so weak mentally that that is going to affect them that much, then they don't deserve to win games. And B, that's what Monty Williams is there for. You know, that's what a coaching staff is there for, to make sure that whatever you see on the court especially early on, again, while they're starting to learn the system, continue to learn the system, continue to learn one another, they're seeing and feeling and recognizing improvements within the team on the practice floor. Right. So I, I think that you can't really look at what happens in those first five games and think, oh my God, this is horrible. Because if we had this team together for you know half the season and played those five games, this team still might not be a team that's ready to win all all of those games, right. any of those games. But um, again, it's about it's about improvements. So let's take a quick break, and we'll continue on with some more Suns topics. One thing that we mentioned before the break there was the .5 offense that Monty Williams has brought mm-hmm. into the, the team, what he's planning on using as their offense, the concept being, in case you live under a rock and haven't heard this yet, and watching me say it wrong now, but you get the ball within... 0.5 seconds, half a second, if you will, you shoot, pass, drive. or drive. Exactly. Um, and, again, they're still getting used to, obviously the team's still getting used to that system. It's kind of funny. We had the seven seconds or less. Now we have 0.5 second offense. It's like, do we? let's just like have everything as quick as possible here in Phoenix. Well, I guess except for you know the past nine years when it was just like, what offense can we throw in there with guys that we have that can possibly make it look like an NBA team that people would be willing to watch? Which offense? we failed at. They failed at doing nine repeatedly. years <laughs> for nine years, give or take, give or take. Um, I don't think Terry Porter ran the point five second offense or the seven seconds or less offense, right? No, yeah, I don't think so. Anyway, so you know, from my perspective, one thing that came to mind when this concept started getting floated around and we've seen it a little bit but not again as much as I anticipate we'll see it as the season wears on but that's how certain guys on this team will adjust to that one guy that came to mind right away for me was Kelly Oubre yeah Kelly Oubre is not exactly a what's the word I'm looking for quick decision maker I guess not, not necessarily a quick decision maker, but you know the the, the ball, up, the, ball player. the ball gets to him and it tends to stick with him for a little bit, you know. A little bit. Um, and that can be great. Can also be not so great. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Although, you know, again with this <clears throat> new system coming into play and them trying to work through it, one thing that stuck out to me in watching the games and, and looking at box scores is that Ubre was the one guy on the team who was getting to the free throw line consistently. Yeah, I mean he is he is fearless going going into traffic. So I mean he'll he'll get to the free throw line. Once Booker kinda steps it up with his offense, he's a master at getting to the free throw mm-hmm. line. Free throw line. Um It'd be nice to see Aiton get there a little bit more, just kind of like really get in there and like mix it up and like draw those fouls. Like actually, here's a like um, something that just kind of it's something about basketball in general that annoys me. But like last night's game, the Suns got the Nuggets in the first quarter, got the Nuggets into foul trouble with seven minutes left in the clock. Mm-hmm. In my brain, I'm just like drive to the hole every time. Right. They're either going to get out of your way and let you score, or they're going to foul you and you're going to the line. But that's not how basketball is played. And, but 
I I have yet to get get a good um, explanation as to why you shouldn't be like exploiting that massive weakness that that has been put on a team at that point. I, I I I've got nothing for you there, Paul. I know. And I'm sorry that annoys you. Does it annoy you? Yeah, I guess I see where you're coming from. And and maybe you have to look at it from the perspective of the level that these players are at. And that is, okay, just because you're in foul trouble doesn't mean you're going to be... It's going to be that much easier to kind of force your way in there and, and ensure that you're going to get a foul drawn. Because theoretically, if that's how it operated, then wouldn't you just do that every single time down the floor? Right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you will be guaranteed that, but I mean, the odds go up because one, particularly in the first quarter, you're going to have guys worrying about foul trouble. Fair. And then, you know, or you're going to have other guys coming in because guys have been pulled because of foul trouble who are arguably worse players because they're not the starters. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the biggest risk is that you're going to draw an offensive foul because you're just Overly trying to keep aggressive. going in mm-hmm. there. But... Yeah, I think I'd take that risk at least in the short term. If they, if it seems like the refs are being heavy-handed with the offensive fouls, I'd back off. But that would be my uh, mo if I was a coach. But I'm not. And send, t- tangent ended. Send a note to Monty Williams and maybe throw that into his throw that into his craw. Maybe he'll yep. work that in. Gotcha. We call it like the you know you got the point five the point five offense. We'll call it like the. Bichelia bull rush offense. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. I love it. I love it. Works for me. I love it. All right. So, okay, what were we talking about before you went off on that? She, we were talking uh, about, you were talking Kelly about... Kelly Oubre. And- Oubre, I brought up Oubre and his tendency to Get hang fun. on to the ball. It seems mm-hmm. to me, though, as I mentioned, the fact that he's going to the free throw line more than anybody else on the team right now, <laughs> that <clears throat> Oubre is apparently... Um, 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 opting for the drive it within half a second yeah. uh, option. <laughs> and fair enough. If he's going to the line, then, then so be it. You also were delving into, I believe, uh, Booker's ability to get to the line and perhaps how that might play into the .5 offense. Is that what it point Just .5 It's just called .5, yeah. Making sure. Making sure. Did you have anything else on that, or were you done there too? Um, no, I think the only other thing that may... <sighs> And I don't know if this is off topic or not, but we have talked about it a little bit before. Um, and I've seen some other people talk about it as well, is the question of should Ubre be the starter? Like, just because of his style of play, it he putting him on the bench would like almost gives him free reign right. to kind of do that. Whereas being part of the starters, uh, starting group, it kind of... It actually could be a little bit of a net negative right. in a way. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be interested to see how that evolves over the uh, course of the season. Yeah, and you know, and we, we, we talked about that very topic on this show before, um, debating whether it should be Ubre or Bridges starting uh, alongside um, who we assume will be Booker, Rubio, Aiton. Sarge. Uh, and, you know, I, my, my answer hasn't changed. I'm going to assume that it's going to be Ubre. That being said, I absolutely see your point, and I think it makes sense. I mean, he, he could really be that kind of spark plug off the bench, particularly if things are going a little, you know, woeful for the offense, uh, even with the starters. If that's happening and Ubre is involved in that, then, you know, your, your six man coming off is going to be maybe, you know, Mikhail Bridges. And he's not exactly an offensive dynamo, but maybe, you know, other guys like Frank Kaminsky fill that role, come right. in with a hot hand and, and, and heat up and, and get the offensive, offense rolling. Um, but that coupled with Bridges' obvious defensive knack certainly um, makes sense to have Bridges out there uh, to, to start the game. But again, I, I, I do think that it's going to be Ubre, uh, when you're looking at it from the perspective too of okay, you put the guys out there who you think can be the most effective, scoring the ball, and thereby and, and and operating the offense, and thereby making sure that you know you're putting your best foot forward there coming out of the gates, right? Um, as opposed to 
having a guy like Ubre coming off the bench who can be a spark off the bench, but you don't want to rely on a spark off the bench. Right. You know, if you're relying on a spark off the bench, then maybe something isn't going right with the starting line. Yeah, but I mean, Man Ginobili made a career out of that. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. And the Spurs made a dynasty out of it, so it's not like it's a bad role. No, I'm not 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 disagreeing. Like I said, I, it makes sense. I think it makes yeah. sense on both sides of the coin. It's just a matter of what Monty Williams thinks is going to result in the best opportunity for the Suns to win. Right. And, and at the end of the day, like we've talked about before, when you talk about who starts and who doesn't start, really how, how much time are the starters going to be on the floor as a, an entire unit in any given game? You know, you, you assume the first... Right. <clears throat> depending on fouls and what have you and flow of the game. But, you know, first, what, six, seven minutes or so? Yeah. And then probably coming out after the half, um, maybe maybe at some point during the second quarter, but it's not exactly the majority of the game. And like we talked about, there's depth on the team, something that we are not used to having that we haven't had in a while, and that's going to give Monty Williams the flexibility to do what he wants to do. He's not going to be, we presume, stuck in a situation where he's like, oh, crap, I'm seven deep right now, and that's all I'm comfortable in terms right. of the players I have on this roster. <clears throat> so, all right. Uh, and, you know, I, in watching the preseason games so far, that, that, that .5 offense really sticks out. I mean, you see how quickly they're getting the ball and making a decision or getting rid of the ball. Right, and it actually really sticks out because of when it kind of broke down in the Kings game. Because I guess they just got so far behind they weren't sticking with the system and that just made things worse mm-hmm. so um i i like the idea of the system it'll be interesting to see how it um you know evolves as the players get more comfortable in it i think we actually have the right type of players to run a system like that right. which is good um I, I mean just in general with like the increase in shooting that the team has i think it's like night and day which is I don't, it's just, I don't even know how to th- think about it. Oh, my, sorry. You're, you're straying away from the mic. Sorry. There. I don't want, I, I was, don't want. I was getting a little too relaxed. Yeah, you're, but, you're um, right. but yeah, it's just, for compared to some of our previous teams, it's, I'm looking forward to the fact that we have shooters and not being the 30th ranked three point shooting team in the league. Hopefully. Hopefully not. If we're the 30th ranked three point shooting team in the league. Something has gone horribly and, wrong, and then then we need to the, the Suns maybe need to start looking at like how the arena's set up, and maybe if it's messing up with the the people's eyes and what have you. You know, like like uh, as a golfer, certain holes fit your eyes. I know baseball players, certain guys like to hit in certain parks. It's like do the Suns just have an arena that people don't like shooting in? Because yeah, they they've they've obviously on paper improved their three point shooting ability. Uh, and if it doesn't translate to the floor, then there's there's an issue. There's definitely an issue. Maybe that's not the issue. The issue is probably uh, something not as what's the word I'm looking for? Trite. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably something that's more uh, uh, internal within the within the team. But let's not let's not worry about that because I think they're gonna I think they're gonna improve on that this year. Um, God, they better. <laughs> so many, like, yeah. I mean. If we somehow have another, barring catastrophic injuries to very key players, if the Suns somehow have a season like they've had in the last couple with like sub 20 wins or like sub 25 wins, I think I may have to give up. I, I, I think giving up is is a bit extreme. I mean, what do you mean by give up? Like you just stop being a Suns fan? No, I think it's more of a. I will become a very passive fan and just be like, "Oh, hey, how are they doing? Oh, cool, good for them." Until like I until there's like proven like semi success. So if the Suns win 19 games this year, are you saying you will? Resign from fanning the flames. Is that what you're saying? You're gonna, I'm you're saying gonna abandon I, I me. I would have to consider it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> for the sake of this podcast. Well, I may also, anything, I may I also hope, have to I resign if they get 44 wins. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking for somewhere in between. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Okay. 
Well, he said 44 wins, so if it's 45 wins, I still get my job. Oh, <laughs> listen to Paul lawyering it up. I love it. That's a fair point. That is a fair, fair point. All right. So, you know, I was going to ask this, and I'm happy I just thought of it again because it came across my mind a few moments ago. Immediately went back out, but just came back in. With this .5 offense, do we know of any other team in the NBA that runs it, has run it? I mean, I'm assuming maybe Monty Williams' past teams have done some version of it. I obviously, have to have the right personnel or believe the right mean, personnel. But it's not like I'm super deep into the terminology of the different types of offenses. Teams I know run. triangle. Yeah, but everybody knows triangle. <laughs> and I know pick and roll. But, I mean, this is... Because triangle had, like... There was so much nuance to triangle. Mm-hmm. This is more of just a philosophy more than like keep the ball moving keep active more than like a structured type of system of plays and whatnot i I think it exists because like it wasn't like it was a new term right right but i couldn't tell you what other teams specifically like subscribe to that philosophy so your answer is i don't know of course it is (laughs) i guess i should have assumed that my bad my, My answer is always, uh, I don't know. I thought you would have made something up, though, at least. Be like, well, in the 99-2000 season... Let's see, the, uh, the, 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 the Grizzlies are running it, and the Charlotte Hornets, and who else sucks? I believe in the 88-89 <laughs> season, the Seattle Supersonics ran it. Yeah, I think the yep. Spirit of St. Louis ran it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, anyway, the, the, a theme that we've, I feel, been going on and on and back and forth and back to constantly throughout this episode in particular is, and really through every episode we've had during this offseason, is the concept that the Suns obviously are going to have to get used to this system. We had the same conversation at the beginning of last season too. Well, and what's funny is we had a lot of the same kind of comments of like what the system was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of movement. But, but the system of- never became a system it was well, it just, not having a it didn't point have guard. the pieces it didn't yeah. have the pieces there are no pieces to plug into the system and one thing we can say is different about this training camp and this preseason that's different from last season is at least Devin Booker is there right he's getting the reps and like we've alluded to and perhaps foreshadowed they haven't been running the offense through him as much as they probably will during the pre or excuse me during the regular season, as Monty Williams pointed out. But again, we'll get to that. But it's good to have him there for the reps to get himself instilled into the system and understand the system and allow the players around him to start to understand how he operates within the system. Now, <laughs> to the point of the progression, you know, getting used to this system, developing as a team that recognizes and understands how to operate in the system. I think there have been some team stats that kind of help show that that progression is occurring. <clears throat> in particular, you look at these four preseason games, and through the four games, the Suns consistently improved in the assist realm. Um, the first game, they had 20. The second game, they went back a little bit, but again, that was a horrible game. They had 16. The final two games, they had 29 assists in each of those games. Now, what then I think kind of goes hand-in-hand with that is that their turnovers went down game-to-game during the preseason from 29 to 21 to 19 to 18. It's getting into a realm of reasonableness, and if you look at those last two games, you're at 29 and 19 assist-to-turnover ratio, 29 and 18. Great, not great, but better than what it's we've three been seeing. Three-to-two ratio is right. not that bad yeah. and, and for a whole team. Yeah, and the and the other aspect too, which doesn't really play into the offensive system, but goes into a strength that the Suns had last year. I just use the term strength and last year with the Phoenix Suns. I think that might be the first time anybody's ever done that. But that's um, their steals. Last year yes. they ranked second in the league in steals per game. Um, didn't really reflect in the overall defensive ability, but still it's a positive aspect of, of the game that they were able to excel in. And this preseason they're continuing to do that having nine steals in the first game, 12 in the second, and 10 in the final two. Um, But more importantly, I think, again, at least in the context of what we've been discussing, is the improvement that I'm seeing, and it's stats. It's stats. You can read stats how you want to read stats, but 
in the in the assistant turnovers, um, which I think are important. Again, when you have a group of players who are new to one another and new to a system, I think it is indicative of them starting to learn and and get familiar with the system. Right. Any thoughts there, Paul? Anything to expound on, or Wright going to sum it up for you? You got it, dude. <laughs> and what was it? You know, let me a second here. I'm just going to look up again really quickly or slowly if that's how this plays out, which it seems to be. Um, the Suns team stats from last year. I mean, last year they averaged 24 assists a game and 15 and a half turnovers. So obviously they're higher in the assist realm, at least through these preseason games and a little bit higher in the turnovers. But again, I think that comes with Honestly, it being preseason too. I could probably put a lot of those turnovers to the refs because the refs were like crazy with the traveling calls during this preseason, which apparently they do every preseason, every year they're trying to set a tone. So... That, I'm happy you brought that up because... You're going to go in on the refs because it's what well, you do? <laughs> well, well through, through the course of the preseason, it was mentioned a lot that <clears throat> the NBA is putting an emphasis on traveling. Okay, I get that. I can appreciate that. But all that's going to happen is that the refs are going to call traveling more often, but not necessarily call it more consistently, if that makes sense. You can call it travel on one play, and then you'll see the same thing happen, and the refs won't call it. I mean, it's still going it's to like be... It's like calling a hold in football. Exactly. You could literally call a hold on every single play. Exactly. So this whole, like, let's let's have an emphasis on traveling, I just think makes it... It, it, it chops up the game more, and it, it's not going to make the call any more consistently made correctly. Wow, that was a horrible sentence. But you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's it's focus on something that we want you to call more, but doesn't necessarily mean the ref's going to be better at calling Right, it. yeah. Calling it more is not calling it more accurately. Right, exactly. It's just calling it. Exactly. Maybe you just do away with traveling altogether. Yes. Forget it. Yep. No, traveling is not an issue anymore. They just, now it's just become rugby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there were, <clears throat> I can't remember which game it was, but there was at least, there, there was an instance where it was brought up by an announcer. So I started kind of paying attention to it more as, as they were calling it and not right. calling it. And again, like you said, it's like, it's like holding in football. You can almost call it in every single possession, right. but it, it never is called every time. And now I see that refs, there were at least one or two instances where they call the travel. And I'm saying, I'm like, how is that a travel? So I think they yeah, get they a get little whistle happy. Yeah, exactly. Because like, oh, we got to emphasize this. That looked like it could have been a travel. Or, 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 or it's the, they start seeing an action that a player's doing earlier in the game, and seeing it that it's gonna be a travel, and maybe have called it a couple times. So then they start seeing that player start getting in that motion. They call it before he actually even right. They're like did. predisposed to calling it. Yeah. How about NBA, you make an emphasis on your referees not being horrible at their jobs? Why don't we do that? They're still better than college refs who are better than high school refs who are better than AAU refs. Who yeah, are... is, this, is this true, though? Is this true? I, I would like to see a study showing that, showing the accuracy of referees at different levels and see if the NBA refs are truly that much better. On that note, let's take one final break before we wrap up the episode. What do you think, Paul? Sure. So as I've mentioned before, a running theme really through this episode has been we've got a new system, we've got a bunch of new guys who are trying to learn the system, learn how to play within the system with each other, and that we're going to have to see development. We've been seeing some level of development here uh, as the preseason went on, and hopefully we're going to see that continue into the regular season. Now, one thing we've mentioned a few times also is that the Suns have not been running this offense through Devin Booker perhaps as much as they will when the regular season starts. And to that point, Monty Williams, after the Denver game, addressed that. Um, and he said, quote, we needed to play a certain way before we started relying on Devin to bail us out. I don't think that's a healthy way to start a game in a meat of a game sometimes, but we need to play off of him, away from him, end quote. And that was in the context, again, of the Suns not running much through Booker during the preseason and doing that on purpose. Now, Paul, what are your thoughts on Monty Williams' comments there? What are, you, what are your thoughts on the idea of them running this new offense but not really running it 
through Booker as they will during the regular season and why they might be doing that during the preseason, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, it worked during the Portland game. Mm-hmm. I mean, for obvious reasons. But, I, I mean, I, I under completely understand the point. I mean, you have – these guys have had a week of, pre, of training camp, and now they've gone into um, this preseason, which has been shortened over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. It used to be back in the day, it used to be like, oh, my God, we're on to, like, the sixth preseason game, and we still have two more. Yeah, eight games with a lot. Eight games is a lot, but and now it's. I think apparently, I think it's up to the teams how many they choose to play, and the Suns only did four. Is that really the case? I, didn't I think know that. so. Yeah, okay. it was. Just, I mean, they only had, they had three. Three of the four were home games, which is also kind of weird. I think the only ones that are maybe prescribed is if you're like selected to play a non other NBA team, right? Kind of thing. Um, but it, it makes sense to kind of de-emphasize Booker a little bit right now because I mean, you know, he's going to get his, and you know. Like, he's a good enough player. Like, he almost needs to, like, learn how to work within the system before he takes over the system. Yeah, that and, makes sense. And but the other guys well need put. to be able to work within the system within the system as well. So when he does take over the system, they're not just standing there and watching. Right. So it 100% makes sense that um, he was de-emphasized during preseason. Um Fun sidebar because of that, it allowed him to focus on other things that he hasn't focused on in the past. Oh, what are you talking about, Paul? Whatever could you be talking about? Um, a lot of times it's a picture of a letter D and then the picture of a picket fence. D gate? <laughs> Water gate? <laughs> I actually, okay, tangent. I was watching a, a game, I can't remember what sport it was, when this was, who was playing or anything, but I was, it was before I was married with my then girlfriend, eventual fiance, now wife, and they were holding up a defense sign like that, and she said, what is D-gate? <laughs> and I almost broke up with her. I was like, hold on, wait a minute, you can't possibly, and then she got it, so we stayed together, happy ending to the story. Tangent over, she knows now it's not D-gate, go on. So he he played defense competently. Some I, some might even say well for for extended periods. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always shown a little bit of like, kind of has an idea of what's supposed to happen. Just for whatever reason, he didn't didn't do it. So it's nice to see that if he has energy to expend, he he will and it can be effective. So he's not the worst player in the NBA. On that side of the ball, yeah, no, it's uh, his defense has been a a pleasant surprise during this preseason. We'll see if when they continue, or excuse me, when they get into the regular season and he becomes more of a focal point of the offense, if that continues. But you know, you can look at it from a couple of different ways. One being, in the past, he's always had to be the focal point. He's always felt like he needed to carry the load offensively and did have to carry the load offensively. So. He was either exerting himself so much on the offensive end that he didn't have the energy, if you will, to play defense, or alternatively, he was simply conserving energy on the defensive end because he knew he was going to have to use that on the on the offensive side of the ball. Now, the other way of looking at it, too, is maybe that was all part and parcel of him not thinking he had guys around him that could contribute as much as they need to on the offensive side of the ball. And that's why he took over as much offensively and he exerted himself so much offensively. Perhaps with more competent players around him now, as we believe he has, he's going to have the ability to say, okay, I can play my game within myself on the offensive side, within this within the system, and not have to extend himself so much where his defensive side of the game you know, lapses or or declines. I think what we'll probably see during the regular season, and I think Suns fans would be very happy to see, is something between how he's looked in the preseason defensively and how he's looked in the past defensively. Right. I mean, and I think I think we'll see what I'm what I'm hoping we see is with other threats on the court, with having Rubio and some other secondary playmakers in place, 
Booker will be able to be that much more efficient, mm-hmm. and he won't have to expend so much energy creating offense. So he still can be that efficient volume scorer that he was, while also having a little bit of extra energy that he can expend on the other side of the floor. And also look at it from this perspective, and that is if he doesn't have to at all times on the offensive end feel like he needs to be the guy, when he does feel like he needs to be the guy during certain situations of the game, how much better is he going to be during those time frames when it's not, okay, I'm the guy for... 35 minutes of the game I have to push myself that entire time as opposed to I can play within this offense and you know I say play within the offense he can still be the focal point of the offense without pushing himself so hard you know um, during a big chunk of the game and say okay for eight minutes of the game I really need to bear down eh, bear down Arizona anyway um, I really need to bear down and and push myself on the offensive side um and i feel like saying it that way might come across negatively like he's not pushing himself at all times but you know what i'm trying right. to get across and i mean and at, the, at the end of the day i think because of the way defensive stats are measured and what factors into those and whatnot if you're on a bad defensive team your defensive numbers are gonna look bad and if you're one of the worse defensive players on the team, your numbers are look that much worse. You put Booker at his prior year defensive ability and and like play on a team that otherwise was relatively decent as a defender, he would look miles better. Right. Just because the other guys are gonna be in the right spots. Cause I I wonder how many times like something went wrong with Booker because somebody else was in the wrong spot. But Booker's the one to get blamed because he was the guy who was guarding the guy. Or, you know, the rotation happened wrong. Right. Your help doesn't come, and then all of a sudden you're focusing on, well, Booker blew that assignment as opposed to if help came and prevented somebody from scoring, you don't really sit there and go, oh, Booker blew that assignment because there was no net negative to it. Right, exactly. Yeah, no. And back to kind of the original topic of the offensive side of the ball and Booker – not being the focal point or at least the offense not running through him during the preseason by design, I'm with you. I think it makes perfect sense because Booker is a good enough player that if he knows the system, he's going to be able to integrate himself into it. You know he's going to get his. You know he's going to be there. You know he's going to do what he's going to do. But it's more important for the guys who are going to be the more more of the role players on this team. And at the end of the day, while we have focal points of the offense, we have players that we know are better than other players, Devin Booker is the face of this team. He's the centerpiece of this team. So at a certain level, everybody else is a role player. Right. So I'm hoping that it turns out to be something that helps improve the team as a whole. And again, having Booker at least involved in that process, unlike last preseason and last training camp, I think can do nothing but be beneficial to the team. Having a team that has an improved roster certainly can't be anything but beneficial to this team. Now, as we step into the preseason, excuse me, step out of the preseason into the regular season, we just have to see how those pieces fall, my friend. Yes, we got it. I feel like on eight days. Eight days. What's with the big gap between the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season? Well, I don't think it's the end of the preseason. It's the end of the Suns games because they only scheduled four and they scheduled them in a pretty tight window. Fair enough. I don't know. Honestly, I think it might be beneficial to the team because it gives them over a week of practice time to Mm -hmm. take, okay, we've had game situations. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to focus on where, where we needed to need to tighten it up where my where Monty Williams's communication and coaching didn't really stick for whatever reason. Right. Well, and that's actually a really good point is you've you've, you've had the games, you've had the game speed, you've had the, you know, conditioning that comes with getting back up to, now you know, game condition. Down. Now exactly, let's let's learn, let's build upon what we started during training camp, what we continued to work on during the games. Let's build upon that. In a situation, in a in a um, uh, controlled environment, in an environment where we can stop and go, 
issues can be pointed out, things can be addressed, et cetera, et cetera, which is a lot more difficult to do when you're going full speed in a NBA game, even if it's preseason. Where the only times you're allowed to stop the clock are finite. Precisely. Precisely. All right, well, we'll wrap up this episode of Fanning the Flames. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter. I'm at So Says Jay Paul. I'm at Dervish of World. And the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. Uh, and until next time, depending on when you're listening, thank you for listening and have yourself a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Don't forget to catch your pet spade or neuter. Just wanna hear you say, yeah, yeah.